life in my life on a daily basis. I'm a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Therefore, I am a fruitful believer. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. Welcome to church on this morning once again. Luke chapter number 22. Luke chapter number 22, if you will. Luke chapter number 22. We've been talking about for the last little while here from the subject, the righteous mind. The righteous mind. And we've been looking at, really, it is a restoration of the mind that God has intended for you to have the entire time. A restoration of thinking right. We've indicated to you what the righteous mind is. It is an upright mind. It is a mind of wisdom. It is a mind of genuine excellence. And then we begin looking at varying things about the Holy Spirit. That he is our teacher. He is our God. He is the spirit of truth. And he is also the spirit of wisdom. The indication that we've said to you in the past is that your mind is intended by God to be an item, a part of you that he can flow through. In other words, you, the day you got born again, you were recreated in your spirit. Your spirit became a new unto God, a recreated spirit that never existed before. But the issue is your mind, the way you think. So your soulless part of you has to be renewed through the process of sanctification where you begin to separate from the old way of thinking to be renewed in the spirit of what the Bible says your mind. So what the idea is that God has for us is that he wants your spirit and your soul to work in concert with each other and in not in opposition with each other. And that takes a level of time and a level of process because your spirit, which is connected to the Holy Spirit, has a desire to fulfill the will of God. But your thinking, thinking or your head a lot of times is the problem. And so what God strategically does over time is he begins taking you through a course of renewal so that your mind will become in agreement with your spirit so there will be an alignment. When this happens, what you have is a righteous mind that now flows with the spirit of God. Now, so we have got to begin to understand that concept. And as we begin to understand that concept, we should understand this secondary area. There are certain things, there's a certain place in your walk with God where you should be able to trust your thoughts and your desires. There's a place where you have been with God for a number of years where you've gone through the sanctification process within reason and God is able to begin to thin or, or filter in his thoughts and his ideas which are higher than your thoughts and your ideas within your life. There's a curious case there. There's a man named George Washington Carver. The world would largely talk about George Washington Carver in terms of all of his scientific mind. But if you study out George Washington Carver, one of the things that you'll discover is that George Washington Carver was a fervent Christian. He was a fervent believer. He was one that even he talks about spending time in the woods, just praying and meditating and spending time with God. And we see that the results of this spending time with God was that he grew spiritually, but God gave him insight to even this one little item called the peanut. That this man was able to take something that thought everybody thought wasn't really important. It was something that we just ate and that's it and be done with it. And he was able to discover 300 products from this one peanut. 
What was going on here? It was the integration of a righteous mind that allowed for his spirit to be in contact with God and God to flow through his mind to produce what he wanted within the earth. If we ever get a glimpse of this concept, now we begin to understand what God is attempting to do within us in this church. He wants you to get to a position where you can trust your desires and trust your thoughts. But how then do I begin to trust my thoughts and my desires? How do I begin to move from it being about the flesh and carnality and get into a position where God can in fact flow through my mind? How do I get to a point where my mind is aligned when in the will of God? That's what we are assigned to talk about. And that's why we've been talking about it over the course of these several weeks. Let's look at, once again, the first thing that we looked at last week. How do I begin to trust my thoughts and desires? Essentially, we are talking about cultivating a kingdom mentality. Cultivating a kingdom mentality. How do I begin to do so? Give me some ABCs. And that's what we are attempting to do again this morning. The first thing that we looked at last week is how do I begin to trust my thoughts and desires? It's first and foremost, I need to lay aside every weight and the sin that easily besets me. We can change it from you to me. Every weight and the sin. The weight and the sins that easily beset you. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 1. And Hebrews in chapter 12 begins to talk about looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Laying aside those ways, you know those things that are in fact holding you down that the Holy Spirit has been dealing with you about. It might not be sexual sin. It might be your flipping mouth. How it's coming out. The stuff that you flip out into the world and flip out about. Instead of you governing your tongue so that you can govern the rest of your body. The Holy Spirit said that's a weight in your life. You need to deal with that. You might have a situation where you're looking at the wrong things. You are a worry ward. You're thinking all about the negative stuff all of the time. And you worry about stuff that's not even in manifestation. God says that is a weight. That is a sin that is besetting you. And if you deal with that area and get into a position of faith. He says you can lay that aside so you can actually begin the process of trusting your mind. Lay aside every weight, every weight in the sin that so easily besets you. Essentially, we said on last week, it is where I grow from baby thinking. Baby thinking into spiritual maturity. Again, there's something wrong with being consistently a baby for 30 years, 5 years, 10 years, and 20 years. And we understand the concept when it comes to natural babies. If a baby does not do certain things within the first 5 years of their life, we begin to say, well, something is wrong. And I submit to you, so it is in the natural, so it is in the spirit. If a baby has not grown, they don't develop, we need to start examining what's going on with their diet. What's going on with their intake that they're not properly developing. That's what the word of God is intended to do. It's supposed to grow you up so that you don't have the same carnal mentality that you had when you first came into the kingdom of God. But if you don't get understanding and, or dare I say, knowledge and then understanding of the word, you don't have the ability to grow up. 
You first got to know faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. What is that? Knowledge. Knowledge. It's possible for me to have a different life than the one I've been experiencing up to this point. It's possible not just for me to go to heaven, but to have Jesus here in operation in my life on the earth. The more I begin to discover certain things from the word of God, faith has the ability. Or as I said again, it is the ability to believe God is present for you. But when I hear the word of God, now I got to understand the word of God. Because the Bible talks about in Mark chapter number 4 that the devil is able to take away from you the word that you do not understand. So it's possible. Yes, yes, you heard the scriptures. Yes, it's possible that you were exposed to the scriptures, but you don't understand the scriptures. And therefore, you're not able to see any manifestations from it. And since you're not able to see any manifestations to it, what you do is you go back to the default way of thinking, which is the carnal way of thinking. Which is exactly the place where a lot of Christians find themselves. Staying in carnality because it works. (laughs) Cussing you out works. Doing everything except what Jesus says works. I hear what you said, Reverend, but that doesn't work. And that's the problem. Because one of the issues that we have is that we don't give the word enough chance in our life to work. Stick with what he said. Stick to his solutions and you'll see the manifestation. But the devil shows up in your life and says, it ain't working. It's taking too long. You might as well go back to the way you used to do things. And the issue is we go back to the way we used to do things and we get the same results. When God says come up higher, do things differently, and you're going to see a different result. When we do things God's way, God is able to do things behind the scenes that you can't see. But when you do things carnally, everything you see is going to be in the flesh. You're going to have a flesh response. You have a flesh harvest. Everything is going to be negative towards you. So God says, I need you to change. Change the way you've been thinking. All right. Now, let's get to this morning's subject. Huh? <laughs> Laying aside the way means desiring, in fact, to grow. Amen? amen and amen. The second way that we begin to cultivate or begin the process in which I can trust my thoughts and desires trusting my thoughts and desires and that sounds foreign to folks that are unlearned in these areas trust my thoughts, I thought all of my thoughts are calling they ain't always got to be calling them just like all Christians ain't got to sin every single day well you know Reverend we sinners saved by grace that's the problem, you can't live in both you're either going to be a sinner or you're going to be saved by grace which one do you choose today? If you have a saved by grace mentality, you're going to stop doing some of these sins and lay it aside. This year in November, you should be further today than you were last November and the previous November if you have been adhering to the spirit of God. Now, where you haven't, that's where you've seen a lack of growth. Number two, so. The second way that we begin to trust our desires, our thoughts and desires, is in this area of commitment to God. Determined to be committed to God. Determined to be committed to God. Luke chapter number 22. It's an interesting passage of scripture because it shows us as Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. It shows where Jesus is recommitting to the will of the Father. 
He was sent here to die on the cross for our sins, to go into hell for our place and then be risen on the third day. But we see within Luke chapter 22, following uh, the communion at the Lord's table, he's in the garden struggling with the realities of what is going to happen within the next couple of hours. He has the two areas of, of what's going to happen to him physically, but also what's going to happen to him spiritually when the devil gets a hold of him in hell. Verse 39, watch this, picks this up out of the King James. It says, and it came to pass, he came out, he's talking in terms of coming out of the upper room. And he went, and as he was, as, as he won't, he uh, to the uh, Mount of Olives, and his disciples also followed him. So he comes out of the upper room. He goes to the Mount of Olives. Another translation says, as he's done before, and his disciples follow him. Notice he says, verse 40. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, pray that ye enter not into temptation. Pray that ye enter not into temptation. It's a little bit of a misnomer in regards to how it's actually translated. I think the New Living translates it a little bit better. It says, he says, pray that, that, that you will not... Uh, you will not give in to temptation. Pray that you will not give in to temptation. Not that you would not enter into it, but that you don't give in to it because it's getting ready to be very present with you. He says, verse 41, and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed. So he wasn't too far away when he began to pray. Saying, verse 42, Father, if it be thy will, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And I hear God say, see, once again, there are some pits you don't get out of real quick. <laughs> There's certain situations and circumstances that you have that you're going to have to just go through. This is Jesus saying, Father, if it be thy will to remove this cup from me, Lord, if there be another way, Father. Would go that way. But he says nevertheless. Not my will. But thine will be done. It is a template for what we have to pray. When we are going through some issues. When there's not a quick deliverance. A quick result. We have to resign ourselves back to the reality. That Lord it's your will. It's your will that I want. It's your way that I want. And I will be faithful in the assignment. That you set my feet in. Verse 43 he says. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. Strengthening him where? As he's still in the pit. <laughs> the angel shows up to strengthen him following his recommitment to the assignment. Maybe that's the reason why there is no strengthening. Because you aren't convinced of the assignment yet. I don't know why this is coming out like this. This wasn't in the plan. <laughs> he said, and it appeared that an angel from, came unto him from heaven, strengthening him. In the middle of getting ready to go through, he was strengthening when he was recommitted to the assignment. Verse 44, he says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. So he was still praying because he knew what was getting ready to take place. Verse 45. Now, and watch this. When he rose up from prayer and was come to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sorrow. 
Now, I always found that to be very interesting. They ain't sorrow because they understand that Jesus is under pressure. There's something getting ready to happen. And the disciples yet, though, they, they go to sleep. A lot of us don't go to sleep when we're under sorrow, but they did. The Bible says, they were, here they went to sleep. Jesus comes out from praying. He looks at them and he says, watch this, verse 46. And he says to them, why sleep ye? What you doing there sleeping? He says, rise and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The New Living Translation says, get up and pray so that you will not be given in to temptation. Now, the word temptation is interesting. It comes from a Greek word which means an experiment. It also means approving. When he says that you won't be given in to the time of proving, he's talking about what they're getting ready to experience. He says pray so that you won't be succumbed by the proving event that's getting ready to take place within your life. Because what happens when temptations like this come, when this pressure comes, your mind cuts out and you go back to the default place where you were. And for them it was fear. Watch this. It also means trial. It also means the trial of man's fidelity, integrity, virtue, and or consistency. The word temptation again means trial. The trial of a man's fidelity, their integrity, their virtue, and their consistency. Now I've said before, our topic is this area of commitment. How do I begin to trust my thoughts? And my desires, I need to have an examination of my commitment levels before I begin trusting my thoughts. We said first and foremost, you got to lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets you, which means stop thinking fleshy. The next area then we say is this area of commitment. Commitment is not real until it is tested. It's not real until it's tested. Everybody loves to say how committed they are without pressure. But until it finds some pressure, we don't really know how committed you are. Jesus is saying to his disciples, get up and pray because your commitment level is about to be tested. And y'all don't understand that most of y'all getting ready to flunk the test. It wasn't just Peter that, 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 that uh, ran off. No, no, Peter was the one that denied Christ. But if you look around, most of the disciples got missing when Jesus was hanging on the cross. Most of them, when, when he came out of the trial and began going from Pilate to Herod, you couldn't find a disciple. They were all gone because the commitment levels weren't where they thought it was. The Bible even tells us as following the resurrection that Jesus comes into a room and the Bible is very descriptive in regards to what kind of room it was. It was a room that was sealed up. It was locked and he came behind the closed doors. Why? Because the disciples were dealing with this area of conflict, this trauma. They saw their Lord and Savior die on the cross and they were trying to reconcile this trauma with their areas of commitment. Commitment is key to you beginning to understanding how you can trust your desires and your thoughts. Where is my commitment level? Let's define the word commitment. Commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated. The state or quality of being dedicated. The word dedicated means devoted to a task or purpose. It means having a single mind. 
It means loyalty and integrity. It means to be devoted, which means to be loyal. So to be committed, it is the state of being loyal. It is the state of being single-minded. It is the state, dare I say, of having a conviction of thought. A conviction. You are convinced of something. The second definition it is, it is the engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. It is an engagement or obligation that restricts freedom of action. If I am committed to something, that means I don't have the liberty to do anything that is not or is offensive to this area of commitment. What does that mean? That means that once I've committed to something, I, I saw this example this morning. I think this is one of the better ways to say it. The day I got married and I committed to my wife, that means it restricts my ability to have a relationship with other females because of my commitment to her. I can't have all these side journeys and these side chicks on the side because of the fact I have a commitment to this woman to have and to hold for the rest of my life to this woman here. And that's the problem with some men. They have a commitment over here and they have a commitment over there and they don't realize that the reason why God said it's good that you have one wife is because you can't commit yourself to all these different places. So once again, it is an obligation that restricts freedom of action. A lot of folks won't be the leader. I want to be the leader, but you got to understand something. When you commit to be the leader, that means you're going to have a restriction of your freedom. You can't go everywhere. You can't do everything because you're the leader now. And some people don't make that shift when it comes to leadership. As the leader, that means you get to show up and lead last. You get to show up early and be the last one to leave at times because you are the leader. It means that you have more obligations than those that are following you. To be committed means, once again, it means it restricts freedom of action. And if you got people that don't want to have this restriction, then you have folks that are not committed. And we're dealing with a world where people are not committed to anything. I just want to be free, Reverend. And that's the problem. It is number three. Watch this. It is an agreement or pledge to do something in the future. I've committed myself, I've obligated myself to do this. The thesaurus indicates certain words in regards to commitment. It is that we can look at is the word dedication. Dedication or dedicated, we've said. It also means resolve. When someone is committed, that means I have a resolve to do. It means I have an allegiance. It means I have a determination, a promise. It means I have a loyalty, a loyalty. These areas in this service, in this session, is going to be the preliminary for us to begin to look at and examine how we, in fact, move into this area of trusting our thoughts. But we got to set this foundation in place before we're even able to get there in regards to this area of commitment. So there I say there are certain principles that must be understood about commitment before we get further into how do we begin to understand this area further. Principles that should be understood about commitment. Number one, watch this. Commitment is never stagnant. It is never static, rather. It's always living or dying. It's never, it's never static. Static means characterized by a lack of movement. 
animation or progression. It's never at a position where it is static. It's either growing or it's declining. It is either, it is either alive or it's not. And in fact, that's the issue, once again, where marriages are concerned. You used to have a passion for each other, but you lost the passion on the journey. And when you start losing the passion on the journey, it begins, your affections for each other begins to decline. And that has to be dealt with. Why? What happens is your commitment levels have begun to change. It's never static. It's never unanimated. It's never unact. There is a position where your commitment resides. Number two, watch this, principles that we should know about commitment. Number two is that commitment is, therefore, requires a reassessment based on any change. Any change within your life, we got to reexamine your commitment levels. I heard a pastor say years ago that, you know, when he has a couple within the church, they get married. Both of them used to work in the church as single people. But when they get married, we got to reassess some things because we have a change. It's not necessarily a bad change, but we have a change. And anytime you have any kind of change whatsoever, we got to reexamine and reassess where your commitment is. Based on any change, whether it be trauma, whether it's pressure, or whether it's any sense of dullness. What's changing with you? When we begin to see people changing within life, we begin to say, what, what, what? or we begin to see their commitments begin to wane, we need to know what's going on. In the uh, Laodicean church, the Bible talks about, Jesus says, essentially, that you are lukewarm. Well, lukewarm is a condition. It's a quality, if you will, of your levels of enthusiasm where your uh, commitment level are concerned. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 says, and he said to them, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The passage translation says, you must disown your life completely. So when we see that your commitment level has changed, we need to examine what's going on in the changes within your life. Why is it that you are not as committed as you used to be? And if you're not as committed as you used to be, now we can determine whether or not you are thinking correctly. Let's look at this. I've said this before. But let's look at this area of the measurements of commitment. Because commitment can be measured. When I use the term measure, I'm really thinking or I'm utilizing in terms of like a measuring cup. When you pour something into it. When you get a measuring cup and you put it underneath a fountain, you're pouring water into it and you're trying to get it at a certain line. And I submit to you, when we are talking about measuring commitment, we're talking about the varying levels of that measuring cup that are on that line. The first area of commitment that we measure is this area of passion. The area of passion. It is a feeling of conviction. When I'm originally committing myself to anywhere anywhere or anything, it's a feeling of passion. It is a feeling of commitment. It's a feeling of conviction. That's what the pattern first and foremost looks like. I feel like it's something I have to do. I feel strongly about it. It's connected to a strong interest that I have. The second measurement that we have in place is this area of enthusiasm which is a feeling of strong excitement. So not only is my passion hit, but the next thing is that I am enthusiastic about it. 
enthusiastic, a feeling of excitement. This is what some folks look like when they start a job. I start out with a passion that, yeah, it has my interest attached to it. Yes, I'm enthusiastic about it because I have a sense of a strong excitement. The Western translation also indicates that enthusiasm also means a special revelation of the Holy Spirit. So maybe on that cup, the first line that we are filling in is, yeah, you see the water levels of passion are there. The next area that you see on that measuring cup is, yes, enthusiasm, yes, is there. But then the next area is this area of the trauma or the test. The trauma or the test that happens within your life. It is where your conviction levels are tested. It is where your enthusiasm is beginning to be tested and put through a trial. And the results of this area of number three will determine whether or not you go on to fill it up or you begin emptying it out. So in essence what you have is one, two, and three will produce one, two, and three again. Or it will go to six. It all depends on how you respond when you get to the position where your enthusiasm and your passion begins to be tested. So what happens in the trauma? What happens is you move to this area of questioning. I have a traumatic situation like the disciples. Maybe, maybe you were praying in the upper room. Maybe you had a time with Jesus and, and he, he, he said, yes, 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 this cup I'm giving to you. And you have this mighty experience. And, and within a couple of hours, the same Savior, the same Jesus that you believed in, that you spoke with, that you were with. He is now under pressure. He's under trial. And now you're questioning some stuff. Maybe you have a failure within your life and things didn't go the way you thought they would. You were passionate about it. You had enthusiasm about it. But you look and there were some issues that took place and you began questioning whether or not God called you, whether or not you heard from him, whether or not I'm supposed to be here. I'm not sure what's going on, almighty God. This is a part of the pattern. And what it is, is it is a question that will lead you to a place of conviction of truth, which is number six, or a conviction of falsity. It's a conviction of truth or a conviction of something that is in fact false. This questioning takes place with all of us. You have passion, you have enthusiasm, and then you have a trauma. And what you discern from it is going to determine whether or not you're going to move to number six. A sense of expectation which is rooted in optimism or a sense of expectation rootless in hopelessness. Well, this ain't never working. See, I told you I was stupid to even get out here. I can't believe that I'm in the middle of this mess. This is what the pattern looks like. And we need to understand it. So, so what it should happen within our life is that once again, you have passion, you have enthusiasm, the test shows up and you begin to question it. But you come out of the question with a greater sense of conviction. And when from that conviction, you have a greater sense of expectation that God will move. But if you do not take the right steps, you will have passion, you have enthusiasm, you have trauma, you begin to question, you'll step away from the conviction that you originally had, and you'll begin to believe that nothing will ever change in this situation for you. This is going to ultimately affect, dare I say, your commitment. Because your commitment is based in a level of faith. Faith that the situation can change. Faith that your God hasn't left you and he will not forsake you. Number four, watch this. 
Commitment, therefore, dare I say, determines the alignment of the mind with the will of God or the world then. This questioning, this trauma, the happens. It will either push you in a position where you trust God more or you will begin to align yourself in hopelessness where you say, I have got to do my own thing because God is not able to meet my needs. When you do this, what happens is your thinking begins to become more carnal than it does spiritual. And that again, that's what it looks like for Christians. You sound, you think, you talk just like the world because you talk as if someone that doesn't have a God. And so therefore you can't trust your thoughts because God can't flow through your thoughts because it's not in alignment with his will. Does this make sense? Number five, watch this. Principles of commitment that must be understood. Commitment therefore is the essence of faithfulness. Commitment is the essence of faithfulness. Everybody, again, in this world, in this society, say they're committed. But we look at your record. Again, this is November. We can have faithfulness is trackable. What have you done this year? You said, oh, Reverend, this is what I'm going to do. You said to Almighty God, this is what I'm going to do this year. I'm going to do this in January. I'm going to set this up by May. And by June, I'm going to do this. But when we start looking at the areas of your commitment, we can see whether or not you were actually faithful. Amen. The King James Version of the Bible says, A faithful man shall abound with the blessing. But notice what it says in the Amplified Version of the Bible. Notice it says, A faithful, right-minded man. So it must be that when I'm not faithful, I'm not thinking right. A right-minded man shall abound with the blessings. A right-minded man. I dare say a commitment level that has a trackable record. A person like that shall abound with the blessings of God within their life. Watch this, number six. Principles that must be understood about commitment. Number six. Commitment determines faithfulness, which manifests as loyalty. Since commitment is the essence of faithfulness, and commitment therefore determines faithfulness, I submit to you it manifests as the essence, it manifests as loyalty. Loyalty is a word that people don't like to hear today. Loyalty. Am I loyal to God? Am, do I have a fidelity? I submit to you since we all read the book of Ruth that Ruth's loyalty to Naomi brought her to Boaz. Without her first loyalty being in place she would have never gotten Boaz. For us and within your life is it is it an issue with Boaz not showing up or is it an issue of full loyalty to the thing that God first says before you? Ruth has to be committed to the first level to get to the next level. This is what we begin to see happen with the children of Israel. That God brings them out and says, all right, I need from you an area of loyalty. Number seven, which is the principle that we need to understand. Number seven, principle that we need to understand about commitment. God won't use disloyal people. God will not use disloyal people. The word loyalty literally means uh, unswavering in allegiance or faithful. God is not going to use disloyal people. So you in today, you out tomorrow. God says, I can't use you. Amen. You do this today, you won't do it tomorrow. God says, I can't use you. Yeah. You want these gifts to operate in you, but you won't do anything he told you to do last. Yeah. Disloyal people. Now, I want you to notice something, though. 
And I want to lay this out as I close. Commitment without success is one thing. Commitment without success is one thing. It is what we see essentially with Abraham. He commits to God, but he's not successful originally. And as the commitment goes on, then God begins to have different questions in regards to him. But notice this, commitment without success is one thing. You have limited options. You are limited without God. There's a practical leaning on God that you know is required because you're not successful. So when you have commitment on one level without success, you know, you know, I got to have God. You say, God, I'm praying. I'm I'm believing. I'm sinning. I'm standing in the need of prayer. You do all these things on one level of commitment. You become loyal to God for what you believe he can do for you. That's one level. That's a baby level of commitment. But commitment with success is a little, a little bit different. It requires loyalty. You know, I want you to notice something about God. He has conversations about loyalty after he's already done certain things within your life. For Abraham, he says, all right, it's been 25 plus years at this point. He says, I prospered you. I protected you. Now I want you to take your only son and take him on this mountain and sacrifice. He says, I need to see a different level of loyalty for us to operate in this different level of commitment and covenant that I need within your life. He says, I'm requiring more of you. He says to the children of Egypt, he says, the children of Israel, he says, I delivered you from Egypt. I delivered you from bondage. I brought you by way of the Red Sea. I did miraculous things within your life. And he says, now I'm making a demand for loyalty to me. See, when God begins to talk to you about loyalty, it's because he's already shown you certain things where he says, I need you to have an allegiance to me now. God calls for loyalty more in success than in areas before you actually move into areas of success. When you have other options. So in essence, when you have the option to do something else, God says, I need loyalty from you. Now you are in the wilderness. You have money. You have the ability to do what you want to do. What does the children of Israel do? They decide we're going to create an Egyptian God, a little calf. God says, what in the world? What is it about this area of success and loyalty? Because God wants to see where your heart is when you have options. When leaning is not fully required because the options he has given you. When he's prospered you, when he's promoted you, then he begins to look at you and say, all right, who are you going to serve now? Matthew 6 and verse 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or money. Because what happens is God prospers you just like you pray. God promotes you just like you pray. And then he begins to look at you and say, Are you still going to be loyal? Or are you going to look at the money and bow at the shoulders of the money instead of bowing at my feet, the one that brought you here? The question of loyalty begins to happen when you are successful. Luke chapter 12 and verse 47 as we close. Luke chapter 12 and verse 47. Out of the uh, New Living Translation, the scripture says this. 
And the servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. So he says the one that has knowledge of certain things and doesn't do what, what his master is telling him to do. He says there's going to be a different level of punishment for that servant. Verse 48. But someone who does not know and then does something wrong will be punished only lightly. He says someone that's ignorant about certain things, you know, and they do wrong. He says there's going to be light punishment because they simply didn't know. But he says, but when someone who has been given much, he says, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So what happens again, because God gives you more, he requires more from you. And so we got to know this when we are praying about certain things. God, I want this. God, enlarge my territory. God, I want this. God says, all right, you need to understand something that when I give you this, it's going to require more from you. A lot of people are praying big prayers. Prosper me. Do this. But God says, the reason why I delay certain things within your life is because I'm looking at your areas of loyalty and I know you can't be trusted yet. I can't trust you with that much money. Not yet. Not the way you spend money. I can't trust you with that kind of house. Not the way you keep house. I can't trust you with that kind of car because you can't take care of the car you have. I can't trust you with that yet until you can be proven over the area and the space that you're in. What does that mean? Committed and faithful to what you have right now. You will never be in position for more. Because when you get more, God's going to require more from you. Now again, this is where it lies. How do I begin to trust my thoughts? I need to start examining. One, have I laid aside the sins that God's been pointing out to me? And number two, where's my commitment level? Is it the will of God no matter where he says? Or is it the will of God if he leaves where I want to go? Let us pray. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus. God, we bless you and we praise you for this word on this morning. We thank you, Lord, that... We will re-examine our commitment levels. Areas where you're saying, yeah, I need you here. But we don't want to be here, God. We submit to your will. God, areas where we feel pressure and, and yet we don't see quick deliverance, God. We will resubmit ourselves to your will. Knowing that you're able to sustain us, you're able to strengthen us even in the midst of any area that we find ourselves, God. Father, indeed, it is your will, it is the desire of our heart to be where you want us to be. To be used where you want us to be used. And so, Lord, we just submit ourselves under your wing. How you want it. The way you want it. Your methods in the process as well. And God as you separate us from selfish desires. We thank you Lord that you're cultivating within us the ability to think correctly. To have the right perspective. For Lord we desire to have your perspective and not our own. And so Lord as you begin and continue to teach us in these areas. Lord we won't fight. But we'll submit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said, Amen. Well, I pray you got something out of that. Amen. So I came in this morning talking about 
getting ready to know and I was going to talk about commitment. We had any number of issues in this building this morning. Made me want to just get in my truck and go into the house. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I said, I looked down and I said, Lord, we're talking about commitment this morning. Hey, let's, let's see what we can do. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <clears throat> well, it's giving time. It's giving time. Let's look over in Proverbs really quick. Proverbs chapter number 4. And verse number 23. Scripture says this. Keep thy heart with all diligence. For out of it flows the issue of life. You know where you're giving is concern. You have to keep your heart. If he says give and it shall be given unto you, you got to keep your heart in that regard. Because what will happen within your heart sometimes is you feel like you're giving and God don't see it. Lord, I'm giving, I'm giving, I'm giving. God says, no, it shall be given unto you. Every seed produces after its own kind. So the issue that you have sometimes within life is that you're not keeping your heart. And when you don't keep your heart, your mouth begins to speak what's, out of the, what's in your heart. So the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so what can happen within your life is that you've done everything right, but you don't keep your heart and you begin to cancel out the seed that you've sown. Keep your heart with all diligence. When you sow a seed, you keep your mouth in agreement, which means keeping your heart in agreement with. Now, every seed produces after its own kind. I'm a giver. I'm a sower. He said, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, shall men give unto your bosom. In that context, he's not talking about money, but we understand the concept that every seed produces after its own kind. Give and it shall be given unto you. You have to protect that area within your life. Amen. Three ways you can give to the training center. First way is by way of online, which is the training center-church.org. Second way is by way of our cash out, dollar sign one TTC. Third way is by way of our mailing address, which is 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Gastonia, North Carolina, zip code 28052. And of course, you can get live in within the house. We thank God for every way you are led of the Spirit of God to sow into this ministry. We thank God for our members and we even thank God for our partners that continually sow into this ministry. You are in fact helping to make it happen. Amen. Congregation, let us set ourselves in agreement with those that are sowing and those that in fact have already sown. Father God, in the authority of the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for giving us the ability to give. We thank you, Lord, that as we bring our tithes and offering to the house, we thank you, Lord, that the windows of heaven open over our lives. And as you'll pour us out a blessing in which there's not room enough to receive. We thank you, Lord, because we are tithers and givers, that you are the one that rebukes the devourer for our sake. Because, God, we are cheerful, prompt to do it, givers. We thank you, Lord, that the grace of God abounds within our lives. And so, Lord, as we sow our seeds this morning, as we've sown our seeds this past week, we speak to our seeds as a seed, go and grow and produce a harvest in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that we're the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. We thank you, Lord, that we're blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the fruit of our ground, because, Lord, we are responsive to your directives. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everyone in agreement did say Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to admonish you once again. We have several books that are available for you. Uh, the latest one is on spiritual abuse. It's available for you on, on Amazon. Praise the Lord. 
Uh, this is one that I wanted to really make as simple as possible, not make it too lengthy, but it gives you some guidelines in regards to what you should look for, look out for, if you will, in areas of spiritual abuse that's taking place within the body of Christ. There's certain things that the Holy Spirit has put within every believer to discern, no, that ain't me. That's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm saying. And we need to understand this. And as you know, as we grow in, in our spiritual walk, the Holy Spirit begin to show you different things. Hey, 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 hey. This is me. This is not me. This is my voice. This is not my voice. A tuning of your spiritual sensitivities. And that's what this book endeavors to do. A tuning of your spiritual discernment in, in regards to spiritual abuse. Which I hate to say this, but it's true. Will probably only increase as we move closer and closer to these last days. And so you need to have proper discernment in regards to certain people, particularly ministry gifts. Some that will clothe themselves as wolves uh, in sheep's clothes. Amen. All right. But all the other books are available as well online. We admonish you to get those and add them to your spiritual library as you will. Amen. Praise the Lord. We will see you on Thursday night. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. Thank you for joining us today. We are the Training Center Church located here in Gastonia, North Carolina at 1314 West 2nd Avenue, Suite B. If you're joining us and this is your first time, we'd like to take this time to say thank you. If you're new to our area or if you're looking for a church home, we currently have our services on Thursday evening at 645 and 7 p.m. for Bible study and Sunday morning worship at 10 a.m. We'd like to invite you and your family and even a friend to join us live here in person where we have worship every Sunday. Thank you for joining us. Give thanks and be blessed. I'm Lady Aisha W. Smith. On behalf of our pastor, Pastor A.C. Smith, we love you and thank you so very much.